Oh, hello, everyone, and welcome to a fully live and awesome episode of VR Download, a weekly show that occurs on Mondays at noon Pacific. But first, a little extra today, and I don't know if we can... There we go. Hey, everyone. <laughs> I'd like to give a special thanks to the sponsor for this week's episode of VR Download, Beanstalker. This week, they've released a new beanstalk, the Arctic Level, with all new challenges, monsters, and puzzles starting this week until December 18th. Beanstalker will be 35% off for their pre-Christmas sale on Steam. You can read more about it on our site, uploadvr.com, or you can just check out the link in the description, in the video description, and go straight to the Steam store. It's fantastic. What do you think, Ian? Is that the, the death stare that you were going to give me there? Yeah, I'm yeah. still taking it in. You're okay. uh, definitely fungible, aren't you? I, I am so fungible. For those of you who watched last week, I wasn't sure whether I was fungible or not. Yeah, so the other piece of house maintenance that I need to do is I'd like to say thank you to Naomi at Sport Clips in Pine Lake down the street from me who has adjusted my quaff. My hair is no longer down below my shoulders. It now actually looks like what I have here in my avatar. The avatar is not emulating me. I am now emulating the avatar. All sorts of craziness going on. But don't worry, folks. I am still bespectacled. I still have my glasses. So good stuff. I'm due to that. I need to get that haircut this week. It's like once when you're in a pandemic, what is it? Once every nine months to a year if you're in quarantine. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds about right. I just remember the opposite of that being what they did in Ready Player One, right? Didn't it go to the other extreme, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to get into it because it was pretty gross. Uh, thinking back on what he did in Ready Player One near the end of that. Yeah, that's yeah. Oh boy! All right, let's see. So I thank Naomi. We talked about Beanstalker. Oh, we do have a lot of fun stuff here to talk about, and the haircuts. Obviously, that's pretty important. Ian, you know what we should do is I could cut your hair and you could cut my hair. Yeah, like, no. Is there I don't a my kids cutting? cut my hair in quarantine. Did you Did you do that? No, no. I have yeah. delivered some haircuts myself. Mm. Uh, I've cut my wife's hair a couple times, cut one of my, my, my 11-year-old. She has never had a haircut. Oh, wow. That, Ever in her life. Yeah. Are you going to do a locks for, for love type thing? We're not sure. We're not sure. At this point, we're just trying to see how long we can go. She's got <laughs> big, long, curly hair all the way down to her waist. It's uh, it's pretty fun. Yeah, and Artful here says that he cuts his own. Hope that works out for you. That's good. <laughs> I remember Dwight saying, like, he won't tip anyone that, that for a job he could do himself, but he'll tip his proctologist because he can't do that himself. See, I'm going to take your word for it because I've never actually seen The Office. And. Not I know that's an now. office character. I, I don't watch The Office. Someday yeah. I'll go over and watch it. Okay. Oh, man. Okay. I guess we can go ahead and uh, get into the news because we do have a lot of stuff to talk about. We're going to try to cram all of this in here. 
into our uh, standard show. <sighs> Are we ready, Heaney? Are we ready for the first piece of news? I think we're we ready. Good? If one of you can All get right. the image up. All right. Where is the image? Do we have? No, the I got it. I got it. Never mind. Uh, you do. Okay. All right. There it is. Okay. First piece of news this week. Sony showcases work on its own 4K OLED micro display. Easy for me to say. For possible use in a future VR headset. Now, I watched the video that we had in the article on our site, uploadvr.com. Go check it out. This looks interesting for so many reasons and i can't even i don't even know where to begin with this do we want to talk about the tech heaney do we want to talk about what's going on here so i I guess the first thing we should say as jamie pointed out in his article is that this is not something that's expected to show up in playstation vr2 the sony's new headset expected to launch late next year this is something from sony's research and development center shown at what they call sony technology day so they're just showcasing their advanced technologies in research for the future but what it is is a 4k oled micro display and we've seen micro displays in prototype headsets we've seen them in a few china only headsets and in our para which was announced recently as a kickstarter from a china-based company but it's not something we've actually seen ship in mainstream head-mounted displays yet what micro displays could offer is a lot more compact headset form factors to shaving hundreds of grams off the kind of headsets we have today. But the problem is they're quite difficult to manufacture and expensive. And it's also quite difficult to pair them with a wide field of view. And just to be clear, the reason we know it's not in PlayStation VR 2 is that we already reported on PlayStation VR 2's resolution. You can uh, search that on Google to find our report on that. And uh, it's 2K per eye, whereas these this display here is 4K per eye. Boy, I, I had all sorts of interesting uh, observations about this piece of news. First of all, they specifically said that it's 4K per inch. Did anybody else catch that? That was 4K per inch. Now, these are tiny little micro displays, but... I'm wondering if the fact that it's 4K per inch means that they could put four of them and have a two by two. So it could be like, what would that be? 8K or would it be 16K? If they put four of these, is anybody following me here? Yeah, no, I get tiling these up and getting to a very high resolution. I think the thing that he and I go back and forth on is like Heaney... Haven't we heard like the earliest gains from foveated rendering being not being enough to to warrant going to this kind of like extreme resolution usage? Isn't that where we are at the state of the art on foveated rendering? Or am I misunderstanding something about the gains that they're finding? Yeah, the foveated rendering we've seen so far in headsets like Vive Pro Eye and eye tracking add-on are more just for enhanced super sampling where you're looking they're not really the eye tracking isn't really to the quality yet where you could do the kind of foveated rendering that everyone talks about and hopes for in the future to drive this kind of display the even the pc headset hb reverb g2 which is already pushing the highest end gpus of today is 2k by 2k per eye so this would be a significantly increased pixel count versus it 
There's two challenges here for me for, for a micro display headset going forward. Number one, with the XR2, doesn't that have a physical limitation of how much it can push in terms of, re- of uh, resolution? Isn't there like a hard break where it can't actually push like a full 8K display? What, yeah. what do we know about that? Yeah. Yeah, that so, is correct. Um, mobile chips like the XR2 do have a, an output limit, as in even if you were doing the most simple content, even if you weren't actually updating the display, you were just sending one frame per second of just blank, you can't actually send over a certain amount. And what, from what I understand, Pimax on their announced headset plan to use a hardware upscaler, but also they heavily limit the output resolution in standalone mode. So yeah, I wouldn't expect to see a display like this come to a standalone headset anytime soon. We're st- standalone headsets are still limited more by the chip than what display you can fit in. The other thing that I noticed that they didn't actually talk about is the brightness, the nits, uh, the measurement of brightness on this type of display. You're not going to Fresnel lens in front of a display like this. You're going to use pancake lenses. It would almost be pointless not to. But at that point, you lose brightness. So how bright does this bad boy have to be in order for it to get into an actual headset? Yeah, so I guess I'll just talk a little about the technology here. Someone's uh, artful said, I guess it's micro OLED. Yeah, all of these micro displays are micro OLED or and to be, they're called OLED on silicon. They actually can achieve a very high brightness, so that shouldn't really be an issue. In terms of tiling them, I don't think you can put them directly beside each other. There's a little gap needed on the side to... I'm not sure exactly why, but I don't think you can directly tile them. But as for whether there would be a brightness issue, no. The main limitation with these, as I mentioned before, is the cost and difficulty of manufacturing. And the fact that, as you say, they need to be put with pancake lenses, which then have their own costs and issues in actually getting them into a product. When I see this piece of news, I immediately go, okay, this is two generations out this isn't next generations actually according to ming chi kuo who is the source of a lot of the apple rumors and he has a 76 percent accuracy rating for predicting apple moves this display or at least in another 4k oled micro display from sony is actually what's expected to be an apple's headset so ah. while this headset, so while this display may be several years out for Qualcomm-based standalone headsets, it looks like for Apple with their own custom silicon and the ability to design the GPU to output whatever resolution they want and go past what Qualcomm has, this really could be the display we see in Apple's headset. Although I will add the caveat that there have been recent reports, rumors from the some of the South Korean media that it may be LG that supplies Apple's display. But again, it would just be a very similar 4K micro display. So this is is the kind of display we could see in high-end products in the next year or two, but not mainstream products. And keep in mind that Apple does have a history of trying to dual source its key components. But that could be a a reason for that rumor, if that's the case. They, They were trying to get two suppliers for that key component. And Neither of them being Samsung would be a a very big deal for Apple, wouldn't it? Yeah, as far as I know, Samsung don't actually market or produce a micro displays. They are in the smartphone-sized OLED panel market, and they are looking to re-enter the TV-sized OLED panel market. But as far as I know, they're currently not 
marketing, at least not widely, any kind of micro display for this application? What do we think will be the first, because obviously this technology has other applications. What do we think will be the first, or have we already seen, and I'm just missing it, this technology in a piece of tech in somebody's hand other than a headset? What else can this be used for, do we think? So in terms of OLED micro displays in general, like I said, the Arpara headset, which is launching a Kickstarter tomorrow that we'll be reporting on, uses a much lower resolution OLED micro display. And the, what their pitch is, it's Quest 2, but a lot more compact and lighter. We'll see if that claim ends up being true and talk about that at the time. There's obviously a lot of reason to be skeptical there. But OLED micro displays haven't really taken off yet because there haven't really been any major consumer applications for them yet. And VRAR is actually the first time that there is a potential wide mainstream application for this tech. It's funny, and I don't know, Ian, if you remember or not, uh, CES, what year was that? The last time we were there, I don't even remember. Time has no meaning anymore. Well, there was. BC before COVID? Yeah, BC, that's right. There was a line, a whole row at CES of companies pushing micro displays, like a jillion of them. There were so many of them. It was, uh, yeah. What, so this, what I'm going to say is the, the SID conference, the display conference, where they really do show off kind of future displays. I remember going to that conference and being lined up behind the, I think, Landman, Douglas Landman, the sort of future-looking display research person over there at Meta. And all lining up to see these hyper, like just ridiculously hyper-packed pixel displays. And yeah, it's impressive. We're all like lining up to look at it and see how much this looks, how it looks. But then in a different row, in a totally different part of the this floor, they had... Japan Display Inc., I think is what it was. They had uh, that little itty-bitty display, and you put your eye up to it, and it looks just so crisp and perfect. You could see a little bit of the future, and sure enough, that is the display in a couple different headsets, I think, including Index. Is that right, Heaney? Um, I'm not sure whether JDI is an Index, but I do know that there is a JDI display in Reverb G2. Reverb G2, yeah, okay. Mm. Just a gorgeous super high resolution display and there's just so i see it in the comments there's so many things you have to uh take beyond just resolution when accounting for what displays are going to have in or what yeah fundamental components you're going to have in future hardware but i think the critical thing to me Heaney, is like what we see out of this is sony kind of proving that even if they're not ready to ship a headset that uh, fits a particular market in a particular generation, they could still supply the components for someone else to do the same thing. Yeah, I think that's often forgotten about when people are talking about PSVR 2, that, that Sony is, in its own right, a world-class, first-tier primary component supplier. So when it comes to things like lenses, displays, speakers... Sony's only limit on PlayStation VR 2 and any future headsets is the price that it wants to push, the price that it wants to achieve. It's one of those companies that has access to all of these high-quality components and can deliver a product that I think will probably surprise most people, especially compared to PlayStation VR 1. 
Huh. Yeah. It's uh, it's fun to see a big name like Sony putting something up like this. Like you guys alluded to, it's not going to be in a Sony headset. It's going to be maybe in somebody else's headset. Another component of this is that we might end up with a not PlayStation headset from Sony, a more work or practical application headset from Sony. What Ian, would you buy a Sony headset that you don't connect to a PlayStation? Oh, uh, yeah. And I think that's what's going to be really interesting to see over the next two to three years is like where Sony goes with the software you can only get on sort of PlayStation 5 systems and then whether those actually will be runnable on a standalone sometime down the line. The thing that I really get hung up on right now is like there's just Epic is playing this this game where their stuff is cross-platform and you can trust that their stuff is cross-platform in a way that it's becoming harder to trust like other companies doing the same. So like uh, Rocket League and Fortnite and these games that are becoming staples of the Epic product categories, like those are you can trust that on any device you can go log in and play those Epic games with someone else. Can Sony do the same going into this next generation of gaming. Yeah, who knows? VR Dynamite here in the comments has said the uh, Sony Xperia VR. Would it be the XR-peria? Sony XR-peria? Is that going too far? I don't know. Honestly, with some of Sony's naming these days of their smartphones, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the name of something eventually. Have you seen some of the new names? I'm so sorry. Xperia 1, 2, and somehow they have oh. like numerals and numbers in some of their product models now, so I don't know oh. how they did that. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see, but it's fun. It's good. It's exciting to know that people are, you know, these big companies are playing around with this technology. All right, anything else on Sony before we move on? Nope. Okay. Next piece of news. Some of you may have noticed that your Oculus browser now adds free form window sizing options. It's, uh, Oculus browser is adding support for free form resizing of browser windows on Quest 2, significantly improving the workflow when multitasking using the browser. Now, the fun part about this is it seems as if we were just having this little dome where we were allowed to put stuff. And now all of a sudden we can resize things and make them a little bigger and put one over here and then a little one over here. And Ian, why did it take so long for this feature to make its way into our headset? Yeah. It's it's a, there's so many things that they're building from the ground up on that team. Like the, all the interaction paradigms that they're going to have for interacting with browser windows in VR. And I was reading in the comments and the threads from some of the team that's working on the Oculus browser that like you ideally you would want the browser to tell the or you would want the website to tell the browser what size you want this window to be at and i think that's a really interesting question if you move web standards forward or have that kind of system 
you could have i don't know i, I want like a if i'm thinking about the what is it wikipedia in book form and i want it to be exactly like the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy i like that and yeah but that would be the website needing to tell the oculus browser put it in, put put yourself into a 3d object and have certain other functionality like that sort of thing but i don't know i it's fascinating to think about the web being able to dictate how virtual reality views that content. You could do that, what you just described with WebXR. In Oculus Browser, you'll just see a prompt open in VR, and the app can use WebXR to define well, its own. Well, I, I get that. I, but I've seen, I've been to WebXR World, but WebXR objects are an entirely different thing. And how does that work, Keeney? How, how do we go to like having objects that are WebXR based that I don't know, like, is it conceivable for me able to be able to pass a web page from you, from myself to you? Oh, that's a completely different question. The first question is how do you have an object in WebXR? The, the problem is the experience itself is still all encompassing. So you would have to be within an experience that supports that through some kind of future web library for virtual objects. When you get to how to pass that from something to someone else, that that's a completely different question. We don't have... There's no such concept as a multi-user web browser in the 2D web. There's, as far as I know, there was a few years ago a program called Janus, even back in 2014, for the DK2, where you could have a kind of multi-user web experience. But I, I don't know if you could... The idea of passing objects between each other wasn't really a thing. That would have to be a higher-level feature. The, the, yeah, the idea of a multi-user WebXR browser that is inherently multi-user. It's an interesting idea, but I just don't think anyone's really built it yet. I think about my daily routine. I'll have a TV on the wall muted to the news. Then I'll have my laptop open. Then I'll have my cell phone off to the side of my laptop. And then I might have my headset sitting over here on the other side of my desk, I have multiple screens that I jump in and out of all the time. And the idea that I have a headset that I could have as many screens as I want, have a little one here, have a big one here, have another one back there with pass through and all that. That really is uh, the, the, the gold standard in my opinion to make a VR headset, something that is just my daily driver. Have all the screens all in one thing, as opposed to having so many multiple things and some things are muted and some things aren't working and audio is not working. And yeah, I, I, I feel like that really, that level of bringing it all together would be really cool. And I think that this is definitely a good start just to being just something as simple as being able to resize a screen is so important. I saw somebody had uh, a question here in the comments about a performance. And I don't know about you guys, but I have not tried to do a whole bunch of screens like that. I don't know. Ian, I know you've played around with it. A little no, bit. I did the one, I did that one test where I ran three browser windows. One was running uh, a, like a movie of some kind. I can't remember if it was Netflix or, Disney, I might have been Disney running in one window. And then I had Hearthstone running in another window. And I, I was playing 
Hearthstone over here in this window and still had a movie playing over here and it was running decently. And then I think I switched to music at one point. I was running like iTunes music or Apple music on one window and having again, Hearthstone running in another window and it, it worked. It was just, those were the, the, the first apps that came to mind that I could actually test like graphically how this is going to work. There were things like Fortnite and stuff that I just didn't spend the time figuring out how to install. Yeah, just to answer a quick question in the comments here. DJAA asks, why are you not using the new Oculus avatars? And Artful has said they're not compatible. No, the reason is the new Oculus avatars actually aren't released yet to developers. Meta gave them out as a limited beta release to four or five developer teams earlier in the year. They have said that this month they will be released, but as of now, the new Oculus avatars have not yet been publicly released. Have I been, have I been pronouncing that Blizzard game wrong? I don't care. I don't play. I always much. thought it was Hearthstone. Hearthstone. I mean, like like Hearthstone. Yeah, like a hearth. You know, Hearthstone. Hearthstone. Yeah. Hearth. Like an R. Like a pirate. Hearth. I want to talk about. Uh, can we talk about OpenXR here? Are we going to get well, into let's that? Let's talk about. Soon? I was. I have. I was going to talk about the first story first. The story yeah. we're currently talking about. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about it because it feels so related to some of this stuff. That is the next topic. Yeah, we're talking about that after this. Should I jump right into that then? Are we ready for that? I was going to okay. talk about the browser. Yeah, window, well, go ahead. Multi window. Yeah, no, I was just saying over time, you, your first question you asked was, why isn't this already a thing? At the start of Quest and even its operating system being a carryover from Oculus Go, the purpose of this launcher was really just to, to launch your apps to allow you to change the settings. And then over time, as we started to hear meta executives talk about this idea of being a Chromebook competitor, we very quickly saw the scope and the intention of this operating system dramatically increase. And so in the past few months, we have the ability to put three different windows side by side and set them to a custom size. Now we have the ability to resize. Android apps come in. Over time, we're starting to see something that is becoming a real operating system you could conceivably use for work or to do more than one task at once. But I think to really get there and have this idea that you were talking about of everything just working together, what's needed is the ability to use these 2D apps while you're inside a VR app. And now the, that's probably not a decision that Meta are making because they don't want us to yet. It's probably just a fact of the quest to not really having enough RAM to do, to pull that off. But what I'm hoping to see in Cambria, if it really is supposed to be this headset for professionals, is that extra RAM to actually make that possible so that whatever VR experience you're in, you can just pin Netflix to the corner or have a little floating Spotify up above you and have this kind of multi-app experience in VR. Okay, here's my stupid question for the day. First, probably of many. With the size of the specific window playing the video or another one browsing and I make it bigger, does that use more memory and therefore eat my battery up faster because the window is bigger? It, the memory is going to be used up by the assets, mainly the images, the video. If resizing the window made the video you're streaming smaller or made the page, like some websites, to load in a, a lower sized image, then yes, but you're not going to get that across the board. It's really just going to be a matter of how much content do you have open at once rather than its virtual size. Okay. 
Cool. I also, I want to know, we were talking about the avatars. We've got, my glasses are not real. You've been, you've added them as a supplement to my avatar. I wonder if I were to scan my face and hand that to you, could you put that on my avatar like a mask? Could I wear, could my avatar wear my face? Kyle. Kyle, are you okay? Is that not? No, but what we are looking into <laughs> supporting is. Sorry, he well, broke me. Imagining no, no, him like wearing his own face, like some kind of science. A truly, a truly terrifying thought. I, I do agree. It is terrifying. But <laughs> just to, to the whole of, show. Let's not get into but, the next topic. Let's just have a little lay down and ponder what just happened. Yeah, just to answer your question, though, we actually are working on uh, supporting the wolf 3D Ready Player Me avatars, which work by you take a scan, i.e., a picture of your face with your mobile phone, and you're able to actually build up your avatar. And just to be clear to anyone asking, we don't have any timeline for that. We're a very small team that's trying to do a lot of things at once, and we, we can't do things that rapidly. But that is the plan to eventually be able to support both Meta's new avatar system and Ready Player Me. And just to answer one little comment here people asking about how much RAM would be sufficient. It really depends on how much is available to apps and what the VR app tries to do. To answer Wabo's point here, he says there were computers with a tenth of the RAM that supported multitasking. Sure, but we're not talking about supporting just multitasking. We're talking about running an entire virtual reality app while supporting multitasking of these 2D apps. And they're not really 2D apps. They're composited into a three-dimensional space and they're physical 3D objects that you can walk around the room and they stay in their virtual position. So yes, yeah, so, doing so quite a lot the, more than what old computers were doing. <laughs> yeah, and and I, the thing that I want to get it, yeah, like Heaney's got this app that's built on just, it's this co-located studio that Heaney's in a, an entirely different part of the entire planet. He's in a different time zone. We have to know what time it is in his time zone and my time zone for us to like even come in here and meet. That's an entirely different way of thinking. And then we've got this thing here that's a web view that lets us like see what the comments are on YouTube. But ideally, I would want to be able to see three other websites here all live updating while I'm doing this show with everyone. He's pointing out that this headset, the Quest 2 that we have on our heads right now, are, isn't going to really allow that. Now, in a an experience like Workrooms, where... Facebook has or Meta has taken full control of the entire system from the top end down. They can control everything. They are trying to do some extraordinary things with multitasking. But even there, like it's still the three browsers thing is in the home screen right now, right? Yeah, and Workrooms isn't doing any of that. It's all that's done by your PC. All that Workrooms is doing is streaming your PC to one monitor. There's only actual one surface that's doing any kind of computing on your quest. Everything else is being done by the PC. And that's an interesting decision in workrooms because you do have all of this work around multitasking in the Quest natively. There's all of these updates to Oculus Browser we've been talking about, and yet they specifically chose to have that stream from a PC. The kind of point I'm making here is that's almost certainly because the Quest 2 just doesn't have the RAM and in general processing power to do all of this natively. Hmm. Yeah. It's all about power, right? You've got to have power. 
All right. Okay. So <laughs> should <laughs> it was a tough reference. Like I, I had to. It, it worked. I mean, it was back. Yeah, that was Back to the Future Part Two. Part right? Two. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which I I will enough. argue is the best of the three. Okay. So don't at me, bro. Because that is absolutely the best. I was thinking of a, I was thinking of a new segment we should do each week in this show. Is like right at the end of the show, we could have like a VR segment where we go into all the uh, science fiction history and pull up some image from sci-fi lore that's representative of VR. And there's, of course, Doc's Doc's glasses. Yeah, his, yeah. remember his glasses in that movie? Yeah. You wore them, didn't you? I I have had several iterations of glasses that I have worn to different shows. And I was just talking to my kids about that. It's funny. I had a pair and I put them on. I remember going to, I think it was connect Two, and I'm walking around with these glasses. People are like, what headset is that? And I'm like, they're just old lady driving sunglasses, but they just wrap around your head. So, well, they look like an HMD. So I would just walk up to people and I would touch the side and go, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Taking a picture. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sorry. What was your question? And, and they think that I'm like in a head. Totally crazy. But yeah, no, I would, I would, you know what? A VR show and a show in VR, Ian, that isn't about VR. We could talk about pop like culture Seinfeld? references. No, we could talk about nothing. We could talk about Seinfeld, which is about nothing. So super meta. Oh, 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 I see what happened there. <laughs> don't do it, Kyle. Don't, I, 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 don't. I see what happened. Oh, Adam yeah, Hartzell. Dad, Dad, tell me about that. Tell me about that. That really hurts. Yeah, and that's the movie. Oh. They'll never remake that movie. I think that's like Robert Zemeckis. Is, I I had it in my contract that that movie will never get remade. And so now, now in addition to feeling old, I can never have my that'll never get remade for another generation. Yes, but thank you, thank you, Adam, for uh, making my back hurt. Oh. I feel so old. Okay. Hey, let's go to the next piece of news. What do you think? All right. It looks like hand tracking finally works properly in OpenXR on the Quest. Controller-free hand tracking now works properly in OpenXR Unity apps on Quest, enabling pass-through mixed reality apps with hand tracking. Ooh. It's so fun. I love hand tracking. I, I really, I wish every app used hand tracking. It's just a thing. It makes so much sense. And I don't have to wear like anything. I'm not like Tom Cruise. Hold on. Hold on. Sorry. I'm not like Tom Cruise. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> pretty good. That was Thank nice. Someone you. Photoshopped that. If we have, that's when we'll know we'll have made it when we have fans. So see that and, and actually go out and, do the whole video edit like we've made it big when we have enough of an audience to go out and do the video editing skills because he did a pretty good pantomime there I was uh, like, we're, we're we're constantly throwing out gif meme worthy stuff on this show i just you know, the audience needs to do it that's, that's what we're asking for yeah so hand tracking open xr pass through all that stuff i'm gonna go ahead and guess heaney that you have some thoughts and opinions on this yeah, so just to be clear of the situation here, apps recently have been permitted to use pass-through on the Oculus Store and App Lab. Previously, it was just an experimental feature you could test but not deploy. The problem was that pass-through requires you to use OpenXR instead of the Oculus API. And until the latest release, which just came out last week, 
there was a bug in the Oculus support for OpenXR hand tracking that meant that your thumb would be in the wrong position. And a lot of the features like collision detection and some of the other little peripheral features weren't working. And because of this, uh, Meta did not allow apps to actually use OpenXR and hand tracking. And so therefore, no app could actually use pass-through and hand tracking at the same time. But since this last week's release, that issue is now fixed. Uh, hand tracking works properly in OpenXR again. Well, not again, for the first time in for the Oculus. And what we now see is apps can use both of these features at the same time. So you should expect to see, and I think we actually have already seen, apps start to upload updates that use this. It means that using hand tracking in pass-through becomes a practical way for apps to do things like setup. If you want to position your chair so that it's ready to be used for a seated position of an app and then move to standing. Yeah, I'm excited to see what developers do with this because each time the developers get the ability to use these kind of features, I'm always surprised by people's ingenuity and what really comes out because it's obviously it's always more impressive than the hypotheticals people come up with beforehand. Ian, what? I, I, I was testing the features. I was testing pass-through mode. Heaney, is this a system-wide feature or is this your support to be able to literally go from standing mode and I've got this like standing room only thing with my desk and I just walk out of the room and I go straight into pass-through mode and it's per, it's almost perfectly lined up with the distance to this wall to like exit this room also exits me from virtual reality. It's really weird. The That is a feature of the app but what you're seeing right now is just in standing sorry in stationary mode on quest 2 that is the default behavior now instead of having a circular guardian around you you just feed into pass through which was one of my favorite updates to quest honestly it was when i first got the quest i really hated how in stationary mode you would see this big annoying circle that you were imprisoned in almost and, and it's so much more elegant to just feed into pass through yeah i'll tell you what let me uh... I'm going to go ahead and give it a try with the hand tracking and the and the pass through here and see how this works. So I'm just going to go ahead and turn on pass through and yeah, look, my hands they're working so well. They're it's it's perfect. Man, look at how great the hands are working in pass through. It's it, No, I think it's a great feature. I think it's pretty good. See, Heaney didn't even see any of that. So, that's that's good stuff. Heaney, are, are do we have the ability to have the room be passed through like yeah, all the so, walls and the ceiling are gone and we just see the the floor with the cameras and the yeah that is a completely something you can do you can have essentially pass through as the background for your vr app where instead of having a wall or instead of having a skybox or instead of having an environment you would just have your normal pass through and that's what we have on the menu of this app before you load into this experience it's pass through and uh, yeah, so, it'll be interesting to see how developers use that. And we can obviously talk about spatial anchors, which is the other pass-through feature that's being shipped in a moment. I'm thinking, Heaney, do you expect like uh, Meta to release like an API of, I don't know, ta- of objects you can either tag yourself or objects that are in a library of things that Meta can recognize? But there's a lot of common vr items that would be nice to be able to talk about i i went and grabbed a touch controller from the 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 countertop but it would be nice to have 
touch controllers here for us to be able to pick up and talk about at any given moment. But there's like a, a bunch of other accessories that would be nice to be able to do that. Is that ever going to be feasible for like you as a developer to, to support that kind of object recognition? It's a really interesting thought. It's really just a question of how much computer vision budget Meta has left over in the XR2 because they're trying to do the guardian tracking, the hand or controller tracking, plus the edge detection if you're using space sense, plus now this spatial anchors feature, which is a new feature in the SDK where you can, as the developer can let you define a specific location in your room by just tapping on it and pressing the trigger or whatever their interaction method is. And the headset will remember that specific position so that when you come back the next day and load up that app, they can put content exactly in that same position relative to your room. Now, as to whether you can detect things like physical 3D objects, what I think we'll see first is 2D objects. So things like QR codes, things like a table or some kind of writing surface. We've actually seen Qualcomm show off recently in their XR1 developer kit, the idea of being able to detect QR codes on your table. Three-dimensional objects, you've got two problems there. You've got to detect them, you've got to track them, and then if you want to be able to bring them into VR in a social experience, you have to then essentially create a, a, a dynamic mesh on the fly and encode that and transport it over to someone else's headset where they then see a rendered version of it. It's There's nothing that's technically impossible about that idea, but I think we're going to need to see more powerful chips and color cameras and more advances in computer vision from Meta. So I have lots of comments on that, but before I do, we'll get into this next piece of news, which is perfectly segued. But Ian, when you grabbed your controllers, the other one was in the back of your head. And it looked like somebody was about to slowly pistol whip you. Like, it's always been it's always been what it's always been that way meme behind me. Basically. Basically. Okay, so let's okay, so the next piece of news, which Heaney already alluded to here, is about the speech recognition and spatial anchors that are now in the Quest SDK. Developers can now add Meta's speech recognition to Oculus Store App Lab apps and can experiment with mixed reality spatial anchors. Now, as a person who spent quite a bit of time with the OG Microsoft HoloLens headset, thousands of hours, eh, a thousand hours in that headset, it, spatial anchors is something that you, it is critical to have something physical in space that every headset that sees it agrees on. That is critical to be able to share this type of experience. And even better is a spatial anchor where, Ian, you're in some other state and you and I have shared an anchor. Even though we're not in the same physical place, we still want some semblance of matching our environments together. It's hard. It's difficult to do but it is super critical. And as we move into AR headsets where we're to do walking down the street and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, there's a tree. Okay. Everybody who sees that tree sees the exact same thing right there. That requires spatial anchors very critically, very important. So what does this give Joe developer or Jane developer? What is the practical application for this? going so, forward before he let Heaney get into it but i want to mention one thing that since 
Kyle brought this up. There is a company out there called Campfire and Heaney. I don't know. I was trying to pull up the images. <laughs> I couldn't get it to work. Yeah. But it is the same core technology of the previous iteration of Meta that Campfire has taken. And like they have a headset based system where there's a central physical object that's meant to be your anchor. And it's a very, it's a low tech way of doing what Kyle just described. All these other companies, Microsoft, Google, Apple, Niantic, they're all trying to build world scale maps of the entire world to be able to have like an anchor system where you can have all this shared knowledge. But like this campfire startup out there exists on the remnants of that old company Meta that died and had an air headset. And then obviously Meta has grown up with the other parts of what that company formerly was. I just wanted to bring that up before he explained stuff. Uh, I think we should clarify. You mean Meta, the defunct AR headset company, not Meta? Yeah, <laughs> I'm saying that Meta, the defunct uh, dead company, dead AR headset company founded by Marone Gribbets, ran out of money. Its technology went off into the... It died, and one of the pieces of technology now exists as Campfire. And obviously, Meta, this, this the name, in name only, is now Facebook. Yeah, so just two caveats on Quest's SDK spatial anchors. The first is that these are not actually synced spatial anchors or multiplayer in any way. Right now, and from everything that's been announced, these are just for local to your headset. These spatial anchors on Quest are relative to the play space that you set up. So when you define a play space using your controller or your hands, these anchors are relative to that and remembered between sessions. But since Quest doesn't have a co-location API yet, HTC's Vive Focus 3 does, but Quest does not yet. There is no natively supported way to sync these other than if you were to manually tap your controllers to the same point in the room. The other caveat is that these are currently experimental. So what that means, when Meta releases an, an SDK feature that is experimental, developers can play around with it. They can put it on SideQuest if they want, but they can't actually put it onto App Lab or the Oculus Store. So right now, spatial anchors are just something for devs to play around with. And to come on to Bass Pilot's comment, how does spatial anchors relate to setting a voice on your alarm clock, which is in this image? As Kyle said, the other SDK feature that has arrived is speech recognition and that used to be experimental it was available it's been available for around a month for developers to play with but it's now available for developers to ship in the oculus store and app lab so in the next week or the next month you can expect to see apps that can have speech recognition built in i would need to check but it may also just be for the us and canada just like the quests built-in voice commands so my first reaction when i saw this image was if I tell my headset that I have on my head right now to wake me up at 6 a.m., and then I go plug it in and put it over on a desk, am I going to wake up at 6 a.m. with my headset sitting on my chest, like going, wake up? Like, how does that work? <laughs> like, like purring like a cat? Oh, uh, that's... Yeah. What is a questy... In this ad, the the meta ads, like, is that what Questy does? The little uh, friend that they're 
character quest. Is this like yeah, they've Clippy? seen that in that meta ad for their quest day. Yeah. That's all right. So that's a really interesting use case. I, what I, I was thinking this whole thing through, and I've tried to talk about this on previous podcasts, but these headsets learning to tame the real world, the physical world is going to be the next phase of software evolution. And there's people in the comments and in people, even in software, the VR headset could replace a lot of physical objects around your home. But I think what's more interesting than them replacing the physical objects is working in concert with them. And if you could tag your alarm clock next to your uh, bed, you have to tell... There's all these interesting UI challenges that happen there. Do you tell the headset to respect the clock's time? Or does the clock's time determine what time the headset because you know the headset has its own global clock based on internet time probably like you could probably think it yeah which does it believe does it believe the clock next to your bed stand or does it respect the internet and you as like the user gets to probably set that then there's your calendars do you have a physical calendar on the wall what month does it say all those things were like you're you're having to line up these physical items around the world with all of your digital to do like your to-do list. If you have a physical to-do list that everyone contributes to on your kitchen wall, does your digital to-do list always update? How do you sync changes across those systems? Like, I don't know. There's people out there who's tried Evernote over the years or oh, Simple yeah. Note or one of those things mm-hmm. and had those nightmare conflicts like just happen and just been as you have four copies of the same stupid note because each change has been synced multiple times. Like you don't want that to happen with this. Yeah. Uh, And I think there's teams at all of these companies working on making sure that doesn't happen. I'm hoping that the headsets don't turn into the queen of hearts and Alice in Wonderland. All time is my time. Like just takes over and changes everything. It's a good question, Ian. When you have, man, now, see, now you're getting too deep for me, Ian. That's kind of, I hadn't thought about that. But uh, somebody asked the question, like, what, you don't sleep with your headset on? Have, it, have either of you two? No, I've been yeah. able to pull the headset yeah. off. Yeah. If, Wait, there was yeah, that story. Just could I, could you ask if, I, if any of us have slept in Right, my, if my you've ever fallen color. asleep in VR. Yes, yes. I did in big screen rift, big screens city apartment environment where you're lying on a bed and the uh, screen is on top of you and you have this kind of mm-hmm. huge city. I did once fall asleep and wake up in VR. It was very confusing. to mm-hmm. wait. I, I, like, I thought I was still dreaming or something until I, I felt the headset on my head the and great, I realized. Similar situation, yeah. Uh, this, is, this goes back. This goes back to DK2 days. I was sitting in my chair. I was in Rift Max Theater. Shout out to Mike Armstrong and the boys that did Rift Max. I fell asleep. I was watching a movie. Other people were in the theater. It was a theater. And I fell asleep watching and woke up inside an empty, dark theater. And for just a split second, I was like, where the heck am I? Oh, 
That's right. I got a headset on, but it, it is a very discombobulating feeling. I the one, the story I loved hearing it. was one of the founders of Alchemy Labs was devving one of their games in a basement, and the power went out, and they pulled the headset off because it's dark inside the headset. It just went black because the headset power went out. They pulled the headset off off. And there's no light in the basement, so it's completely dark once they've pulled the headset off. It's the same in virtual reality that it is in real reality. But that's pretty messed up when you like you start reaching up for a second time to pull off a second headset. Virtual reality. There yeah. it is. Yeah. Oh, man. I am going to go. Gee, Gee mentioning Rift Max. Yep. Yeah, call back. All right, so I'm going to pop something up here on Stevie because it is time once again to thank our sponsor for this week's episode of VR Download, Beanstalker. Check out their new update, the Arctic Level, with all new challenges, monsters, and puzzles starting this week until December 18th. Get Beanstalker for 35% off Steam. Read about, read more about it on our site, uploadvr.com, and check it out in the link in the description below. Go check it out. Beanstalker, fantastic, fun game with updates, which is always a fun thing to have in a game. You, you want to keep having updates. It's, uh, it's critical because you don't want to get bored. You want new stuff to do. So check it out, Beanstalker. Yeah. Okay. Do we want to? Yeah, go ahead, Heaney. Yeah, so I checked the voice SDK doesn't only work in the United States. You can use it outside the United States. And also, just to point out, the reason that alarm clock thing was shown there is that they're giving an example of how this SDK doesn't just detect speech. So it doesn't just give you text from what the user is saying. It can also analyze that speech, which is called natural language processing. And it can pick out commands, which is obviously the set alarm, and entities. For example, time, it can parse from the user saying a time, no matter how they say it, whether they say 0, 0600 hours or they say 6 a.m., it can parse that into a date time that the computer can understand. So you, it'll be interesting to see what developers build with this. I think we're going to see novel use cases with the voice SDK that are just as interesting as the use cases we've seen with hand tracking because it really opens up an entire new method of input which developers can build things like Harry Potter spells or have a menu that you don't have to browse through and type in VR. Yeah, so all right, Harry Potter spells and this is where it all starts coming together when we start talking about these things. With these extra kind of SDK tools that are being rolled out. And I think the key thing to remember, Kyle, we've gone back and forth explaining this a couple times where it's like it seems like over on the Steam side of things, some of their software development has stalled for lack of a better term like you don't really you do see new features in steam vr but what they did was valve was out there first saying new features are going to come to steam vr on the open xr side of things and now that's what we're seeing over here on the oculus side of things on the meta facebook side of things is there's all these features that are going to be attached on top of open xr apps and things start start getting really interesting after devs start layering things in and we've laid out some of those examples here one of the first developers alden dynamics the creators of waltz of the wizard 
they're one of the ones that have come out and said that they're going to support the voice recognition system that's coming in the Quest ecosystem. And that's exactly what Keeney just said, where you can imagine magic spells. I do want to make one observation here about these things. I'm noticing that as our VR headsets slowly become AR headsets or mixed reality headsets, a lot of this stuff that we're seeing here is stuff that if you were a HoloLens developer two years ago, this is all old news to you to have to do this, the, the anchoring and the, the voice. And because you could say, hey, Cortana, take a picture. And it would take a picture from the HoloLens. These are things that this is, these are new. Uh, features that are old for a different type of headset, but are new for these new. And this is where our VR headsets are slowly becoming something else. It's not just VR anymore. It's they, they are truly become a new paradigm. I don't know what to really call it, but I don't want to call them XR or MR or any well, of the R's. Let's Heaney or so I'm a broken record with Heaney. He's actually gotten like he's had to like tell me, haven't you asked this like six times? He, this week he updated this app from the Oculus API to the OpenXR API. And that's such an exciting thing because he even wrote in like our update log internally that this opens up support for non-meta headsets. So right now we are on the Meta Quest 2 with our with our show. But we want to be able to have other people come into the studio who aren't on meta headsets, or we ourselves want to be able to come into the studio if we aren't on meta headsets and still do the same show. But meta is now in a race to make all the software features so compelling that you have to get a meta headset. But they're not they're not competing just on fundamental standardization of the format. Like they've all standardized on that. Now, Valve, Microsoft, and Meta uh, are the first to, to compete on this, but they're all going to be competing to make all these extra features so darn compelling, you don't want to leave their ecosystem. Is that a, a fair way of putting it, Heaney? Yeah, there's definitely these kind of platform-specific SDKs that exist, even when OpenXR is the API for the core. For example, this speech recognition that we were talking about, that's not part of OpenXR. That's that's Meta's own separate SDK. The same thing when it comes to some of their platform SDKs, like the destinations you were talking about. But an app can support those without requiring them. So you can have it that when you run your app on another platform, that platform will still run, but without those extra meta features. Uh, Kyle, I actually think what you were talking about a second ago when you were talking about these features trickling down from HoloLens, it was, was it's a very interesting way to think about it. I don't think it's just that AR features are coming to VR. I think it's that you're seeing uh, three features that used to be requiring a $3,000 device that has all of these advanced spatial sensors built into it, slowly trickling down to these devices that are literally a tenth of the cost and being able to have just a few cheap, low-resolution black and white cameras. So it becomes one of those things that it was brute forced with hardware by Microsoft, and now we're seeing it kind of up from the ground up being built by Meta just with software. So, right. We, we already watched somebody do it once. So now they're doing it, but with lower end hardware. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point, Heaney. In today's studio, I faded in from AR, which was amazing, Heaney. Like that, that was an amazing Feeney. You told me it was amazing. Are you going to be able to support the desk from Meta and 
How will that work if you do? That's a great question and actually relates to a question we've had in the comments here. Someone was asking how long before the Quest can recognize a keyboard. You're talking about the desk feature. So these features exist in Oculus Home. The problem is they don't exist as SDKs for developers yet. We do know that the tracked keyboard is going to be available to developers next year. Meta hasn't been more specific. So once that happens, you'll be able to see your keyboard in VR apps, including, I would hope, virtual desktop eventually, and other apps that kind of use your PC or even require text input. But as to the desk feature, we haven't actually heard anything about when developers will be able to read and use the desks that are used in Oculus Home yet. I guess it's one of those things that will be added eventually in an SDK version. Uh, So that's what I'm getting at is as soon as he supports the keyboard, he may also support some features with that that would be pretty useful. Like he he supports a keyboard or camera switching using keyboard commands. And it's not really efficient for me to do that unless I can, like, in the middle of my show, realize I can hit this key to go to a specific camera for a specific purpose, I need a track keyboard for that. That's what I'm getting at, Heaney, is, like, if we get to some point next year where you've supported something like that feature, and then, let's say, an Apple headset comes out or uh, some other headset that we want to use, maybe the Lynx, that, like... You, it, the app runs on the headset. You can actually use it to log in, but it's so darn useful to have this other meta-only feature that I don't ever want to switch. I would expect that you, each platform will provide their own APIs for this. I would find it extremely unlikely for Apple to go to the effort of putting in a, a very powerful processor and all of these high-resolution cameras on a headset and not have kind of world recognition APIs like that. Just to respond to James O'Loughlin's comment, I saw you you commented on this earlier, suggesting that there is a level of scene or object recognition coming to Quest early next year. That's actually slightly not the case. And when Meta announced this, we were very careful to we were very careful to be clear of how this works because they use the phrase "scene understanding" when they refer to this feature. And I, I really dislike that word because there's no understanding at all. How the feature works or will work when it ships next year is that you, the user, will walk around the room with your touch controller and you will tap your walls and you will uh, point and direct the laser towards where your ceiling is. And then you will tap the corners of any furniture in your room. It's entirely manual. The, the automatic process is that the headset will then remember where you've tapped when you next come into the room. So you come back tomorrow and you don't have to do it all again. But the headset itself doesn't actually yet detect the room. And we're probably years off a low-cost headset with just 2D cameras being able to have the kind of robust room recognition. But as Kyle, I'm sure, will say, that is something that HoloLens 2 does have because, again, it has all of these advanced structured light sensors that it can use to perceive the depth of the room inherently. The funniest thing that I have ever had happen with uh, a HoloLens is because it's there's no pass-through, it's just transparent. So you can you stick it on, you go and you do a demo in a room, and then you leave the room. And then you're in there and you're devin on it and you put it on and you're like, you know what? I'm going to go fill my coffee cup. I'm not taking the headset off. You walk back in to the. You're in a completely other room that the headset can't see from where you were first were. 
And all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I left all of these like things up on the wall in this room. And so when I, it's really an interesting uh, experience to walk in and see virtual mm-hmm. things like garbage left all over the place. And you're like, oh, okay, click that, get rid of that, close yep. that, close that. That's, you look like a fool going like this in the sky, closing all these things. But it really does understand the room. Quest, come on, Quest, read the room, okay? Read the room. It, it just, it's not going to do that. I'm going to have to, there's a wall there, Quest, and, and it's always going to be there. But what about things that move, like a chair or an ottoman or a, a coffee table or something? If somebody starts moving your room around, you're going to have to re-explain to the Quest where it is. It's That's true, but I think it's learning. I think what we're seeing in... I I have a feeling that I would not be surprised if Facebook or Meta's like machine learning algorithms are trained at this point on like in the lab hardware, and then they use some of those learnings to apply to to their more consumer level systems. Isn't that what they're doing with some of the facial training systems there, Heaney? Why wouldn't they do the same thing with some of the scene understanding to feed it to the lower-end consumer hardware? Yeah, that that is already how you use it, as you're right. The ground truth comes from high, highly expensive sensors, and then that ground truth is compared to what the low-cost sensors see, and they try to train a model to figure out the scene. The, the problem is, I just don't think the camera resolution on quest 2 is sufficient to really do this when quest 2 recognizes your room it's not actually having a perfect understanding of where any walls or furniture is it's essentially just doing a a game of pattern recognition where what's called features shapes and lines and contours in your room are analyzed and recognized based on saying oh i've been to this room there's a kind of there's a poster here that has these kind of squiggly lines there and there's a archway there that that makes this kind of shape but again it doesn't really understand this as a three-dimensional model it's only understanding the high contrast areas where the shape differs in a very small area which is called a feature but i think once we do see color cameras come to these headsets like the cambria that's where you start to see this become possible and we might see an automatic scene recognition rather than the the manual one and and just to reply to, to Artful's comment, I think it was Artful, saying, does Hauntify VR already use this? They've built their own version of this, so you have to do it every time, as far as I'm aware, or if you're not in the same play space. The advantage of metas will be you can go from place to this play space and your room setup that you've set up will be recognized rather than having to redo it. Heaney, let me ask you maybe a stupid question, but we had really bad storms here this week. Tornadoes ripped across two states or three states here. And I was like, I had my iPhone 12 pointed at the sky and I was realizing that the camera on it was able to expose the clouds brighter than my eye could actually see it. And I could more or less look at the clouds at night and see if there was anything threatening in the clouds that I couldn't see by eyesight. I hate calling it supervision or whatever, but isn't it possible that when you have like an Apple headset with those types of sensors, you're going to be enabled with some kind of better than human vision sight in certain respects? Ooh, 
Yeah, and I think that's actually a really interesting potential application of both VR and AR headsets. Already today with the Quest 2, if you strap a infrared emitter to the top and point it forward, you magically now have night vision. You can walk around in pitch dark and you can see in you can see around because it's seeing infrared as well as just visible light. And again, I don't know the camera intrinsics of the iPhone, but I believe what you're seeing is that because the iPhone can see slightly into the infrared spectrum, while you can't, that's what it was probably seeing in the clouds. But as you say, this opens up the question, what happens when we have lightweight head-mounted displays that can see across a much, much wider spectrum than human vision and present that in a way that we can see? You could have essentially night vision or other forms of enhanced perception that we haven't even thought of yet, and these headsets could give you superpowers. Yeah, I'll finally be able to see what my dog's been barking at. I don't know what the, what he's looking at. I'm just kidding. I have a dog. But yeah, I do have one of those IR floodlights. It's like 15 bucks on Amazon. I do VR in pitch black, and it works because I can see. And with pass-through, it's really creepy. Like, the, the, the reflections and everything are just, it's Again, really Silence surreal. of the Lambs. You're doing that scene. You're, you're doing the final scene of Silence of the Lambs. You're just walking yeah. around like just with your goggles on. Yeah. Val Dargas said you could even have cameras in the back of the headset so you can actually see behind you at the in a little window. <laughs> Interesting concept. You can see it's in the 60s. Isn't allegedly a Mandalorian? Boba Fett. I, I want to say Boba Fett allegedly his armor enables that historically. I don't know. Really? I don't so know. he's I don't like I'm that much of a Star Wars nerd. Correct he, me if I'm wrong. Is he, is he like the Star Wars mom? I have eyes in the back of my head. I can see. It's so weird. Cool. Hey, yeah. James here is talking about LIDAR, and I was wondering if that would make more sense, Heaney, if they just had a LIDAR attachment for the quest. No, like, I mean, this, this one, the empty food bowl, feed your pets. I love it. And that is literally like... Your empty fridge, your the things you forget around your house. Are you going to be doing like the daily scan with your headset to let the headset process all the changes of your household every day in order for it to like when you put on the headset, it to be able to be like, what did you forget? What is the next task to make this household run more efficiently? You're throwing my brain in overdrive now because now I'm picturing a report of your ottoman has moved exactly 3.6 inches in the last 30 days. Would you like to record that into your stats? Ooh, no, yeah, there's people stop. who want those stats. There is a, yeah, it's like, there's people who will like really go deep on those stats. Yeah. Like, did you know my ottoman moved 14 feet last? Wow. Hey, that's cool, Ian. You should tweet about that. That sounds intriguing. <laughs> <sighs> Boy. Yeah. All yeah, right. Just hey, to let's come back on the yeah, lidar. That that is one of the the features you could put into a headset to get easy automatic scene recognition without even the need for advanced machine learning and computer vision. Because a lidar is basically a three dimensional camera. That that's the easiest way to sum it up. The problem, of course, is that lidar will add to the cost, so you can't really compete with a three hundred dollar Quest Two with a headset with lidar. But I think. If, so, if someone like Apple can put LiDAR in their headset, you will be able to have this advanced understanding of your furniture, your bed, your walls, your archways. And from that, you can deliver incredibly rich mixed reality experiences. Yeah. 
Or your headset could just say, you haven't made your bed in 368 days. That's like, oh, okay. No, think about the expiration dates in your fridge. How much wasted food do you lose? But, like, how much, like, expiration dates on food items are a terrible user experience, right? Which side of the bag is the freaking user date on, or these expiration date on? You have to spend time looking for the expiration date on item that you might not have. But what happens if the expiration date is always floating above the item? Looking inside the fridge. Oh, I need to cook with that first. No, Ian, but imagine the world where you and I are in real VR fishing and I'm pulling in a nice big fat tiger shark. And all of a sudden I go, oh, shoot, I just got a notification. Ian, I got to go. My yogurt's about to expire. Like, (laughs) Is that really the world we want to live in? (laughs) <laughs> that's a good question yeah that's gonna be the, that's you just described uh, apple versus like meta in like two years like their marketing plans like, disappear to another universe versus make your current life better is going to be a lot of these you know different marketing you know what i want ar to be able to give me i want to be able to look at the cage where my gerbils are and see that they both have battle cat armor on i want to be able to augment my pet can, can we You've got a you've got a critter at home, don't you, Ian? Wouldn't you like to see it walking around I'm with like a little scared of that one? I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about augmenting life that didn't choose to be augmented. I don't know. It's I, I don't know about the ethics of that, but like it's too easy to think. Imagine you make your dog one of ten caterpillars running around on the ground. Each day you play a game of Russian roulette with your dog of like squashing one of them. Like, I'm not saying I would ever do that, but there are people who might have that kind of disconnect. I think we're likely to see these systems specifically detect pets and humans as a different entity than just any other moving object. We've already seen a a move towards that with Space Sense. I, I would imagine that there will be some kind of outline on other people in the room done for safety purposes by apple i don't think they will let developers occlude a person with a virtual object without showing some kind of safety feature it doesn't seem like apple would really give developers that freedom and that's the kind of thing that apple does like to lock down on its platforms ian i can't believe i'm saying this live on a podcast but i don't think apple wants you to step on your dog because you think it's a caterpillar I agree. And I, that's okay. why I'm thinking I don't think we'll augment. I think it's exactly that the user interface is what Heaney's describing. Where You almost show real people as like uh, glowing or something. And you could show animals in the same way. And you just don't touch. You don't augment them. You show them in a way that just highlights them more for you to see than than anything else. Wow. And then you don't have uh, hey, cruelty people. After I know. I know. All of a sudden, VR PETA is going to be in here and throwing virtual paint on you, Ian. Hey, I'm trying to protect the animals. I don't want that. I don't want that monster out there playing roulette with with their pets. Yeah, awful people. Okay, hey, let's move on to the next piece of news that we've got here. Since we've gone all crazy with our pet conversation, Ooh, uh, callers, up callers. Can we have our? Are we going to have dog translation, Kyle? Yeah. Let's do that one. I, I don't want to hear what my gerbils have to say. I, I really don't. Well, the dog says, I'm hungry. Do you want your headset to translate that in real time for you? No, I, I don't. No. I, the animals don't have higher 
levels of intelligence. So Robert, Robert, can we put Ian and Carmack in a room for three hours and film it? No. I want to tell you, like, no, no. I want it. I'm scared. I I would like to ask that man any question in my head and just not have him have, like, anyone come into him. I don't want anyone coming in that room and saying, don't answer that question, John. That's, yeah. I, I have had several one-on-one long conversations with John Carmack over the years. And, Ian, you'd ask one question. And then you'd have three hour conversation that would end up in a completely different place than where yeah, you originally. I'd probably get question three questions was. over over an, a three hour. I'd get three questions over three hours, probably. Yeah. The oh, trick man. would be to pick the right questions. Well, I made the mistake of talking about playing Quake Arena with my kids, and uh, we and he and I just went on a tangent. That was at the did uh, you, Minecraft. Did you see Carmack's thread about shoving the AI in a locker? Yes. What? All right. People are oh, people I mean, in the comments are talking about my mind wandering. I'm thinking about John Carmack, the the modern godfather of VR, talking about how he believes he'll be able to uh, if he creates an AI that uh, is intent on destroying humanity. There'll be plenty of time for him to just shove it in a locker. They're going to have to come up with different uh, letters, uh, acronym, initials for a dog VR. They'd call it like. K9 or something like that. Okay, moving on. Uh, next piece of news. Kuo. Am I saying that right? Kuo? 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 Is it two I syllables? Think it's okay, I Kuo. think it's one syllable uh, Kuo. I, I'm okay. not 100% sure. Kuo. Whoa. Apple headset, 300 to 400 grams. Second generation will be much lighter. Apple's rumored upcoming headset will weigh 300 to 400 grams. Second gen model will be significantly lighter, and that's intriguing to me, according to a new note from Ming Chi Kuo. So, this is the person who is 76% accurate 42% of the time, and 98% of people believe him, and 16% of all statistics are just completely made up. I don't know. But yeah, so this is the picture. It looks like a giant Apple Watch that straps on your head. This is the one. So my understanding of this, these upcoming headsets from Apple, supposedly, is that the first one is like a VR pass-through one. And developers will get used to it. People will get used to it. A couple million of them will be floating around out in cyberspace, a metaverse, whatever. And then a new one will come out that'll be AR, like real AR, not pass-through video and we're hoping all that ecosystem will go onto this new headset and it'll be cheaper, faster, stronger, better, smaller, lighter, all that. Am I, am I explaining it all correctly, Heaney? Close. There, you're right in saying that there are these two headsets and one is a headset and then the next will be glasses, but they're actually two separate product lines. So when Quo here talks about the second generation, he's not talking about the glasses. He's talking about headset version two. So again, just a clarify what i've said a lot on this podcast is it helps to understand this by just removing the vr part from the product description we just call the opaque things you put on your head and see the real world through cameras headsets and the things that look like glasses that you see through transparent optics are glasses so quo here is is saying that apple's first generation headset is going to be somewhere between 300 and 400 grams 
which compares to the Quest 2's 500 grams. And then he's saying the second generation headset will be down much lower. And in March, he actually claimed that Apple's eventual target was between 100 and 200 grams. So that could be what he is saying the second generation headset will go for. Now, we haven't actually heard anything new about the glasses, the other product line, for quite some time. The last thing we heard was that the supply chain analysts expect those to arrive in 2025. The other interesting thing of this report is that Quo expects the first generation headset, this thing, to sell around 3 million units in the first year. And he claims that its successor, the one that will be more powerful and lighter, will ship 10 million units in 2024. So he seems to be expecting that in two years, there'll be a successor to this thing. And it will be either through being a better product or being cheaper or both, be able to triple that market. But what's interesting about that is that Quest 2, we know from the recall documents and a Qualcomm CEO comment, is somewhere between 5 and 10 million already. So what we do know about this is that Apple is not making a direct Quest 2 competitor. It's trying to build something that is much more capable, but much higher end and for a smaller audience, at least for now. Fast Pilot makes a good point here. It's pretty early to talk about Gen 2. So we're making predictions on a second generation of a product that doesn't exist yet about the amount of sales that it will see. Is, yeah. is this pompous of Apple to say this or so, so is it just realistic? So let's just be I mean, clear. It's, Apple. it's not Apple. Apple is not saying anything here. This is Quo. Quo actually has been able to successfully predict the second generation model of products in the past. It sounds like an absurd thing, but you have to understand that his source is that he is a supply chain analyst. He has contacts within all of the companies that sell Apple the parts that go into all of its major products. And so when Apple wants to ship millions of a new product, it has to be talking to these suppliers years in advance to get things ready. Now, obviously, there are going to be changes. There are going to be things that are lost in translation from one group to another. And that's why you get this 76% accuracy rating. And that's just a simple rating of all of Quo's past predictions, how many have come true and how many have not. But when you look at, when you dig into that 76%, a lot of the ones where, we were, where he was wrong are on very specific details. And most of the ones on which we were right are on the kind of general gist of the product. So again, oh. it's, it's possible that he's just, you know, making this up, but it seems like it's fairly plausible. And this is probably the most reliable source when it comes to Apple's future moves. So it's about as accurate as my horoscope or the tarot card deck that I have. That's good to know. That's good. <laughs> hey, something significant will happen in your life today, Ian, and it will shock you, but you will be prepared for it mentally. See, that was, I just predicted that for you. My tarot. I will be, I'll be extremely curious if when we see if, Apple actually goes and ships this first generation device and if Meta they're giving every indication that they are going to ship Cambria right like they've said it is next year this is going to happen I will be very curious if there are submodels within that class of device if you can buy two versions of the original a Quest and the Quest 2. You can buy a, a small storage model or a large storage model. I'd be curious if on these devices they'll all have the same storage or if there might be two models as well, but if they also might choose to differentiate a low-end model and a high-end model in some other capacity because there's 
a lot of opportunity to test a lot of different sensors on these devices. Well, what 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 is this going to be called? We're just going to call this Apple Glasses, okay? So then there could be Apple Glasses Pro, Apple Glasses well, Apple Pro Max, Apple the Glasses, glasses are separate SE. Product. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to throw this up. Let's see if I've got still got this in my search. We're going to have transparent optics and opaque optics for the long term, for decades, I think, because of this problem. Because this looks so darn awkward to represent fake eyes on a head. Like, it's just so absurd. You're going to have to have a certain set of glasses that let you see through to see real human eyes. Teeny? Yeah, although... I was actually just thinking about this the other day because I was watching a movie where the characters had on these kind of these shades where they were orange tinted and you could badly see their eyes through the orange tint, but it looked fine because that's what you expect. So what I'm wondering is, could you use this concept of fake uh, past review to the eyes and tint it orange so the visor, it looks like there's a visor in front, gets over the limitation Mm. of the screen looking weird and not real? I wonder if there's a little bit of showmanship you could do here to make that look good. So fake eyes that just look a little bit more, get a little bit more of the way there. Yeah, because am I going to be able to Snapchat filter over top of this so I can look all duded up and have big anime eyes? And can I change the color of them? I feel like there's all sorts of opportunities here. So it's just, I think, yeah, we're going to have opaque optics and transparent optics for a long time. I think Heaney just, do you think the opaque optics, when we, when you talk about a generation one and a generation two of a goggles headset form factor from Apple, do you think when they're starting to plan gen three of that device, they're going to look at the state of the glasses project and just go, let's just push that back a couple more years? As in, do you think that they are going to try and bring the transparent optics to the headset or try and cancel the headset entirely and just go with the transparent optics in the long term? I think of, I've been thinking a lot about this, that there's three use cases, right? There's sitting at your desk, the work all day device. There's the quest device that you get up out of your seat and actually play a game. And then there's a device you take out of your home. And the, the one that you take out of your home is so completely different from the first two. And I wonder whether the first two get so much better after three generations, the one that you use for work and the one that you use for questing and playing games. Do they get so great that you get a pair of glasses that are wide field of view and do a pretty good job and they just don't compare to to the even wider field of view and fantastic mixed reality and like people actually start wearing the third, fourth generation of these out in the real world instead of glasses. Oh yeah, for sure. I think by the time the glasses can provide the same experience as a pass-through headset like this, pass-through headsets and the opaque technology will have leapfrogged so much forward themselves that the glasses will still be so much far behind, further behind them. And I, I would actually argue that those first two devices that you're talking about are the same device. There really only are two devices here. And the question is, you know, the question between them is, which one has to be socially acceptable and be able to be worn out in the street and which one has to be in your home. I don't think sitting and standing has to be a different kind of device. I like, I I agree with that. I think what I'm describing is Cambria is the, like the idea here that meta is going to go with is Cambria lets them test out all the things they're going to test out that they want to ship in a lower end device in the next generation. So yeah, 
if they can capture the work device, I'm also going to go use it for the games because it's just the best device for the job. It is an intriguing concept is that when I first started hearing about the fact that Apple had two headsets, I thought, okay, this one is just a stopgap until the glasses come out. But now I'm starting to think that they are two unique with different use cases, different uh, target audiences, two different unique headsets. And and I just never even gave that any thought. I thought this one would go away when the, the real spectacles came out. But now I'm thinking they'll both exist and stay for quite a while. Yeah, I think it's like today you have your smartphone and your smartwatch, which are the future equivalents are your glasses. And then at home, you have your laptop and your PC and your TV. And the future equivalent of that is your headset like these. And they are they're distinct devices. And one is optimized for giving you the most immersive, high-powered, high-graphic fidelity experience. And the other is optimized for weighing and looking like a pair of glasses and letting other people see your eyes. And it just this idea that there has to be this convergence towards one device, maybe in multiple decades, but I just don't see why it would have to happen anytime soon. In the same way that all of our traditional digital devices didn't converge into one device, as was predicted by some in the and I think a lot of it is going to be about use cases and what type of software is this headset going to run? It almost feels like completely new application paradigms need to be created. You're going to love this segue. So the last piece of news today, Apple is hiring for AR and VR developers Entirely new application paradigm. So Apple posted a job listing for an AR VR frameworks engineer with the role described, as I said, developing an entirely new application paradigm. I was intrigued to see that the person who actually made this post is someone who, if you've been in the VR space long enough and you remember Converge or uh, you know, Big Screen is still around, Hayden Lee actually is uh, did he actually post this or was he just the one kind of pushing it out in uh, social media i didn't notice yeah he, he was the manager for this position from what i understand from his tweet he cool. was he, he went to apple first as an engineer and now he's being promoted to a manager on this team I, I would totally go work for hayden that'd be a fantastic job and to develop something brand new for apple for these headsets for these devices oh wow that sounds like a dream job for the right engineer you obviously have to have the chops to go and do that job, but yeah, it's fantastic. I don't know. Heaney, would you like that job? No, but I think <laughs> that the position that he's listing here is very interesting and shows a lot of, it really gives an insight into what Apple could provide in this space. I think there's a lot of focus and speculation on Apple's potential hardware showing and I think obviously that'll be interesting in the normal way Apple products are. You know, it's thinner and slimmer and a little bit more sleek and well-built than some of its competitors, but higher price. But what I think Apple could really do in this space that would make a real difference, and this listing hints at, is, prevent, is present a fundamentally different software model that enables VR and AR to go beyond the limitations of the current siloed app and app store model today where on quest all of these apps are built in this very heavy engine like unity or unreal you're using all of these different sdks and libraries on top of each other and the app 
will always kind of be in the position that it was when it was shipped. If you try to use that app three years later, it's outdated because of how the platform has moved on. And then obviously you have this other spectrum of WebXR that exists today, but hasn't really got any much traction yet, where the the browser is the engine and the content is semi-dynamic. But what Apple could do is find a nice middle ground where developers build the content, but the system itself handles all of the core tech functionality like rendering, physics, lighting, spatial audio, multiplayer synchronization. And that that last point, multiplayer synchronization, is mentioned a lot in this job listing. And what that means is that as time goes on, the core system software can improve and all of these things like physics and rendering and haptics and interactions can improve while the developer's content can still be compatible with those future improvements. Because rather than each developer just reinventing the wheel and making their own of all of the systems I just mentioned, the system itself does it in the best possible way because it's built by these high, these world-class Apple engineers and constantly evolving with best practices. I'll tell you one thing's for sure. If I was going to go interview for that job, the first thing I would ask is, am I going to have to use Xcode? Because uh, it's a deal breaker. I'd, I'd walk out right now. Any developers <laughs> in the chat will be laughing at There you go, Heaney. No, I also find it intriguing that these headsets are using a new or will be potentially using a new operating system that Apple has named Ross, like from Friends. I don't know. Why did they name it Ross? I think it's Anybody? for Reality OS. Oh, R-O- Reality okay. ROS. Yeah. I was R- like, why did Small they randomly R- pick OS. Ross? I would have gone with Chandler myself, but that's fine. Yeah. So what do we know about this? Do we know anything about this? Because we're talking about an operating system. If you look at mobile operating systems right now and where Windows has gone from day one to, you know, or DOS or operating systems always have like certain things that are critical core components and everything else is just fluff. What did a reality operating system need to truly be unique? And a new, like the word paradigm, that's like very specifically vague. I, I don't know. Yeah, he, 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 like, what a kernel is what, at the core of the operating system. What does the kernel need to do in that scenario? Well, I, I don't think that it's, I don't think when they say a new paradigm, it really means in the sense of the core operating system tech. I think it's, how the operating system relates to the content, how the system software relates to what developers build. And I think it's just this decoupling of the apps from the the frameworks. And to be clear, I'm not saying that they won't support Unity and Unreal apps. I'm, I'm, it would be very bizarre for Apple not to do, but I think there will potentially, and again, we haven't actually heard almost anything about ROS or Apple system software. And what makes this job listing news that we're talking about right now so interesting is that it actually gives a first glimpse in. So it mentions things like it will allow you to, this is a, for a, the position here is for a networked framework engineer. So a framework that developers will use to build content for this device that is inherently networked. So when you have two Apple headsets in the room, they can see the same content in the same position without developers having to specifically invent that themselves. If you could, over the internet, you could have multiplayer experiences using this kind of technology. And it refers to 
software that is deeply integrated into our operating system, a new application paradigm. And I really encourage anyone's listening to go and read about this. You can read it on our website by just searching Apple job listing. And again, it's so hard to speculate based on so little information. And it is possible that all of this is wrong and Apple does come out with just this boring old app store and downloading and updating separate apps that are completely disparate and don't really talk to each other. But I, I do think that is the opportunity Apple has because Meta has gone with this very traditional approach to software, even though it's talking about this interoperable metaverse and all of its marketing, it's never really delivering on it. It's All of these apps are still separate and they don't carry along with the improvements in technology over time. Yeah, it's it, we don't know whether any of this is right. Actually, only 76% of our predictions are typically correct. So who, who, 77% take that quo. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it, it, there's been a few people who have made the point in, in the chat over this episode. It's, you know, we're really talking about rumors still. We, we ha- haven't heard anything official from Apple other than the fact that we like headsets, and that's it. That's really all they've said. Yeah, it's in the works down the road. We don't have any specifics from them. We don't even know how accurate this Charlie Brown picture is. I, I think a lot about opportunity you get one chance to get this right if if you've been at this for 10 years now if you've been a developer you went and got the oculus dk the first one and you're like just trying adopting all the apis getting into unity and unreal trying to build an app trying to find what's how can i be part of this how can i help build this future and like Apple and Meta, what we've just seen with Meta is they just reorganized the entire company from the top down to ready itself for a new paradigm in computing where you wear glasses all day, right? Like literally that company, Mark Zuckerberg is betting the company on that. Is Apple ready to do the same? Is Apple ready to rethink the entire stack of its operation from the top down in order to to compete with Meta and, and all the other companies. I don't know. No, Apple likes to think different. Well, in a way, the fact that they already have their ecosystem of devices and software platforms means that they have less reorganizing to do, and less of more of maybe just a porting to do. They have to take the concepts that they have today and bring them over. Because one of the speculated use cases of this headset is for being a virtual television. So you put it on and you have this massive, really high quality cinema screen in front of you. Something you can do in headsets today, including Quest 2. But Quest 2 really lacks the compelling content to make that useful. Meta has partnered with one movie provider in the US and it's not even one of the popular ones. Whereas Apple has its iTunes movies, it has Apple Music, it has all of its podcast content all of that existing kind of content base that it can just port over. And it can you could even have a virtual Apple TV in front of you because Apple's already made all of those license agreements and it's already built all of this software. And so I do think if, when it comes from this kind of usefulness and content perspective, Meta is going to have to do a lot of catching up compared to Apple. Mm. But you are right to say yeah. that Apple is also going to have to orientate itself from a, a spatial VR, AR first perspective rather than prioritizing its other products when it comes to these. The- the content licensing one is the one I come back to quite a lot 
where like how does a, a corporation of Apple or Meta's size learn to be friends with while also enabling peer-to-peer functionality to a certain degree, right? Are, are they going to enable file sharing of the next generation where you can you just hand files to one another? Or is that is everything DRM from the top down and is your platform only going to play DRM content? I, that's one of those fundamental things that I wonder about with SharePlay and these APIs. Where, where is the Napster of VR? Has, does that exist yet? Where is that? Where is the Lime? What was it Lime Wire? I think it was. Yeah, I'd argue big screen's pretty close, but they've got a lot of dependencies on various platforms. Yeah, with something like big screen streaming feature is the closest you're going to get in terms of video content. In terms of VR content, I'm, I'm sure it's the people who sideload cracked APKs to their quest rather than buying games would be the. Is the that a thing? Are people, is that a thing? Are people, yeah, are, we I mean, don't really talk about it because it just encourages bad behavior more. No, I know, but I haven't even stumbled across like bootleg ripped VR. It's on all the bad sites. You got to go, you got to risk your, you got to risk your computer a little bit to download from uh, scary sites. Virus in a VR game? Like, what would that do? No crash. Let's get back to the snow crash again. Yeah. I'll meet you at the Black Pyramid. The (sighs) ultimate virus in VR would be something that can trick you into falling over. And it's conceptually, it's not really that hard to think about. The idea is we would just have to tilt the room at the right angle at the right time based on your head motion to trick you. And while you're moving at the right speed, it's no one's done it yet as far as I'm aware, but... Damn it, that he, is that is where I the, know. safety and concerns of he's, VR he's got his really become real. At least your threat model is in the right place, Eni. You've already got your threat model. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm starting to th- I'm starting to wonder that if if we pissed Heaney off, if all of a sudden things start to go sideways, <laughs> and what is happening here? What is happening, Heaney? What? Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> all right. Man, okay, this has been a long and uh, very productive conversation. Do we have any like, last words of Oh, of, just of call you, you get and are some of our commenters like I get you for like where we keep coming back to these rumor mills and these little bits of information. Really, it's it is the story of our time in my opinion. Like which of these companies comes out on top in this next generation of computing? And so we have to pay attention to every little bit of information we get out of these i think what right there there is a tier of rumors in terms of reliability all rumors are definitely not created the same the the trifecta the the trio sorry of sources that we always come back to in our reporting is ming chi kuo the information which is the source of that image on up there and Bloomberg. If those three sources, and let's be clear, those three sources are all saying that Apple is going to release a headset as early as next year that is lightweight and slim and standalone with advanced mixed reality features. When all three of those sources say something's going to happen, it is very rare that it doesn't. I would say that we actually put quite a lot of effort into looking into our sources of rumors past and seeing when have they been right and when have they been wrong and should we report on that? We actually go through a lot of effort to think about those. We will not bring you rumors that we don't think are reliable. 
is what I would say. Because you know, I've seen some people mention in the comments by an Apple foldable phone and things like that. None of the three sources I just mentioned have reported on on that being a thing. For example, there there is a lot of, there is a low quality rumor mill for Apple, but I think it's more designed to get clicks than to be accurate. Yeah, I would recommend not believing anything that you hear from the guy that lives in the dumpster behind the Cracker Barrel or anybody that takes their technology into the shower with them. Just ignore those people. They don't know what they're talking about. Ah, Okay, gentlemen, do we have any last-minute things we want to add? Oh, Oh, by the way. I just wanted to thank you for that, Kyle. That was nice. Oh, thank you. No no, no worries. I I do want to say uh, happy Quest Day Eve to everyone be sure to put cookies and milk out for mark santaberg whatever he may come and put in your stockings because that's, that's tomorrow what, is that right what, literally what this is is that what i have no oh, idea are we gonna are we gonna argue about this next week is this is this about making metaquest a household name i'm purposely I mean, ignoring the quest i think it's so stupid that i refuse to acknowledge his existence you know i just picture there's there's an older movie, an older Christmas called Santa Claus the Movie, and John Lithgow is in it, and they, he tries to do Christmas too, and try to do a thing in July, and it's just don't force it. Let this it movie doesn't sound time. real. It is a real movie. There are real people in it. Dudley John Moore Lithgow, is in it. Christmas too. John Lithgow. It's called Santa Claus the Movie. Look it up. It's not great, but I remember it. <sighs> yeah. Okay. That's it. I, I think let's wrap this up. Everybody go check out Beanstalker because they're our sponsor and they're pretty awesome. Game game's a lot of fun. Go check out uploadvr.com for all your latest news reviews, comments, and interviews. Kyle. Uh, lot, lots of fun stuff. If someone like, wants to fund you, how do they do it? Fund me? Yeah. No, I don't fund. Go fund yourself. Don't fund me. I'm not fungible. I don't know. I've been told I'm a pretty fungible kind of guy, but anyway. <sighs> yeah. So anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Check out YouTube and uh, our social medias and Thursday, Gamescast, Jamie and Zena. They'll be talking about stuff. <sighs> yeah. Ryan knows Santa Claus the movie is a classic. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. All right, everyone. It's been our show, VR Download. Thanks for watching or listening on the podcast. We'll see you in the future. So long. Fairly well.